Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today in the show, we wanted to begin a series talking about attachment and how to build attachment with uh, kids, with teens, with adults within relationships. Uh, but we could not think of a better way to introduce this topic and to cover all of the basics and the foundational level information about attachment than to go back to an episode we recorded with our good friend, Dr. Jamie DeLuna from the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU. And Dr. DeLuna joined us to talk about uh, everything from how we actually attach to a caregiver, like what is the brain science behind that, to different attachment styles and what they mean. And it was a fascinating episode. And as we talked about how to cover that information um, in coming weeks with different professionals, we could not think of a better place to start than to replay this episode from uh, Dr. Jamie DeLuna from the KPICD. And so here she is talking about attachment now. Well, as you mentioned in the opening, uh, we're here with Jamie DeLuna from TCU, and she is uh, probably the first scientist you're going to hear from today during your day. Um, that is uh, her official title at uh, TCU as research scientist, but I'll let her share more about that. Um, Jamie, thanks for coming on. Why don't you share with us what, what you do at TCU and, uh, and why scientist is your title? <laughs> I, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I suppose it's my title because I have those, those letters after my name, PhD, uh, oh. but it's sort of a misnomer because what I really do is I talk to a lot of people about attachment. Um, I, I talk to a lot of people about their childhoods. It sounds very Freudian, but I get to talk to people from all over the world about their history and how their history impacts them and how attachment impacts their relationships with their kids, with their spouses, with their coworkers, with their friends. Um, and a cool thing about what I do now is I'm getting to teach people on our team how to do that too. And that's really neat. So I'm growing our team to also make that impact. That's awesome. So, okay, so for people who are listening to this and they have no idea kind of what the context is for that, why don't you kind of go back a little bit and explain how you guys got into that at the Institute and then why that was such a draw for you in particular? Mm. So attachment... Um, Attachment is the heart and soul of, of TBRI, trust-based relational intervention. I mean, it's if you just look at, at the name of TBRI, right? Trust. Yeah. Attachment is, is trust. Yeah. Attachment is relationship. <laughs> and so you can't have a trusting relationship without attachment. And so when we teach uh, and help professionals work with families and children, the tongue-in-cheek way I always say it is half of that interaction is, is the family or the child or the parent, and the other half is us. And so we have a responsibility to know what we bring to the table, what we bring to the interaction. Um, and that often is not the first thing on our mind, but it's really important. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Jamie, if you don't mind, why don't we kind of tell me about, you know, so you go to get your PhD and you come back to the Institute to work and then um, you begin doing these, uh, these interviews, these assessments as part of uh, kind of TBRI training. And so why don't we kind of walk through that and why that was so interesting to you and, and uh, necessary for part of the training? Ah, uh, 
those are those are two really good questions. So I'll answer the first one first, which is why it's so interesting. And the thing I always say, and I did not come up with this. Somebody else told me this, but it's me search, right? We all That's come good. to what we do because of our own history. So yeah. I study, well, I say parenting. I study, I study attachment history because of my own attachment history, right? Like <laughs> I want, I know now that I wanted to make sense of my own history. Oh, that's really good. And that's what got me interested in it. Um, and so that's the the passion behind why I do what I do. Yeah. And and the reason of why we have everybody who comes through TBRI practitioner training do this is because relationship is is dyadic. It's two parts. It's two people. Um, when I serve a child or a family, half of that interaction is them and the other half is me. And we if I'm leaving the me out, that's, that's yeah. half of it. I have to yeah. know what I bring to the table. Yeah. What I'm bringing from my history is so important. Yeah. Well, and I, I've shared with you off air. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about uh, seemingly in every episode uh, this season and kind of the tail end of last season is uh, how, how often that theme comes into our own parenting. We, inevitably, we, we get super frustrated at something a kid says or something that is done or, or, um, or we're kind of evaluating later, making sense of it. <laughs> and when we can't find a rationale for it, it's like, oh, that's probably because there's something weird in my history that triggers that in a way that it shouldn't. And so it sends you down a different rabbit hole to fix what you thought was a kid problem and really it's probably something that, that you um, are primarily the one that needs to do some work on. Yes. Well, and I think the question becomes then, what is it about my history that makes that bother me, right? What is it about me or my history that that bothers me, that triggers me? Yeah. Um, We flip it and that maybe gives us a clarity or a clear answer on it that we didn't have before. Right. A more frustrating answer probably that we can't just pawn it off on somebody else. Oh, like, for sure. Uh, so. Nope. <laughs> I, I think maybe the best, the best place to go next would just be, why don't we sort of just jump into attachment and um, adult attachment? And, um, you know, we talked about it being sort of the foundation of all relationships, but, um, and we had uh, Dr. Call from TCU talking about attachment styles, and we talked more about kind of kid attachment styles in that interview. Why don't we talk more today about the adult attachment styles and how they develop, and then um, walk through some of the different ones if, if we can do that. Yeah. So I think the best place to start there, and I'll I'll mention the child styles because mm-hmm. they're connected, right? That's mm-hmm. We were all kids at some point. And I think the best place to start is secure because the the thing that's always been impressed into me and my learning is that in order to understand atypical development, like when, when things don't go typically, you have to understand typical development. You have to understand the way it it should go, or you would hope it would go. And so secure attachment is the way we hope it goes. Right. Um, and that's a history that's, um, the, the way you always hear it is warm and consistent parenting. The way that I'm going to say it is a parent who is able to give what we call instrumental care. So they meet the physical needs, right? If you're hungry, I'm going to give you a snack. If you're bleeding, I'm going to give you a Band-Aid. I'm going to be able to be the the room mom or the soccer mom. I'll play a game with you. I'll do the, the activities, the things. That's instrumental care. But if I'm a secure parent, I can also do what we call nurturing care, like the deep emotional care. Yeah. 
And the example I always give of that is like, if you have a bad day, I'm just with you. I don't tell you it's going to be okay. I don't try and cheer you up. I don't give you a solution. I just say, JD, you're really sad. Yeah. And that's it. Full stop. There's no but. There's no and. I'm just holding space for your emotion. And the secure parent can do both of those. They can balance those. And so the result is, and this is where we get into the adult style, the the result is I learn who I am. I learn that I'm valuable. I learn that my voice means something. I learn that all my feelings are okay. I learn that it's okay to just have negative feelings sometimes, but then it's also okay to have positive feelings. It's okay to feel the full spectrum, right? And somebody is going to help me through that. And so as an adult, I know who I am. I know who I am in relationship. I know who I am outside a relationship. That's the autonomous self. And so I bring my full self to life as an adult. And so as an adult, as an adult, they can look back at their past and say, there were some really good things about my parent, my mom or my dad, but you know what? There were some things I would change and they don't minimize it and they don't get angry about it. They just, it's just honest. It's balanced and they can sit with that. So I think an important thing to kind of point out there is you're not saying that secure attachment is a result of perfect parenting. No, yeah, not at all. Um, if you think you had a perfect childhood, you're probably not securely attached. To <laughs> Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah, well, yeah, because none I mean, of I think, us had a perfect childhood. Yeah, I think all of us who are parenting right now need to hear that, right? Like, just to remember right. that, you know, okay, well, maybe this morning we had an issue getting ready for school, and it's unresolved as the kid goes off to school, and I'm not here now lamenting and grieving and, you know, like, weeping at work, like, oh, I've ruined this secure attachment. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a, right. it's, it's no. more than, it's more than just getting it right. Like, it's, it's learning how to human well and being there for your kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want my kids to have a perfect childhood. I want them to be able to live in the world that's not perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I often say I want them to be just messed up enough to be funny, which is, you know, not true. But but truly, I want them to be able to live in a world that's not perfect. Yeah. And if I am trying to give them a perfect experience, one, that's an impossible standard. It I'm is. never yeah. going to meet that. And two, they're not going to be able to live in the world. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I think that is. We gosh, I was at a friend a conversation with friends uh, earlier today, and. Um, they are just in a, in a tough season. And they just said, you know, I think the good reminder is that um, there's not some people who have it together and some people that are struggling like us, like everyone's struggling like us and only some of us are honest. And I think that is the key reminder, I think, as a, as a parent. Like we, we are all going through stuff because if none of us are perfect, then nothing perfect exists in the world. It's all an ebb and flow in this beautiful kind of like like rupture and repair dance that we do back and forth. And the better that we can get at that, the better, better chance we have of, of making it. Um, gosh, yes. that's so good. And I think one of the things we often say with TBRIs, it's better to air and repair yeah. than to never air at all. Yeah. Our kids just need to see us repair. They don't need to see us be perfect. I mean, this morning I have a seven-year-old And she woke up on the wrong side of the bed and she was grumpy. And you know what came out of my mouth? 
please don't, please don't start this day off bad for all of us. That wasn't what I wanted to say, but I said it. And then later on the way to school, I said, that is not how I wanted to show up for you. Yeah. And I'm really sorry. Here's what I wanted to say. It's okay for you to feel that. And let's think of some silver linings of today for you. Yeah. Both of those can happen. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right, so we get secure attachment from being warm and consistent, yeah. right? From being from being there, from uh, being able to do instrumental and nurturing care. Um, and what? Where would you go next in explaining attachment after that? Okay, so there's secure attachment, um, and then there are different types of insecure attachment. So it's still attachment. It's yeah. not. It's not whether or not a child is attached. It's not more or less attachment. It's how are they attached. So there's secure attachment yeah. and there are different types of insecure attachment. So what you're going to say so, is not in order of lower grades of attachment, right? <laughs> like the next one isn't nope. a B, then a it's C, just, then a D. It's like different flavors. Yeah, I got it. Okay, great. It's just different flavors. Yeah, one's not, not uh, more or less yeah. attached than the other. Um, so I'm just going to pull one out of the air. Um, yeah. The next one, so as a child, it's called anxious avoidance. Um, and, and as an adult, it's called dismissing. They're the same category. Just when you're a child, it's called one thing. When you're an adult, it's called another thing. And so this is the parent who is really, really good at instrumental care. Hmm. Um, they are ready with the cookies after school. They are ready with the, with the new school clothes. They are the room mom. They are at all of the events, the basketball games, the gymnastics meets, they are on it. Yeah. Um, nurturing care is a, is a little bit outside of their comfort zone. They're not as good or as comfortable with the big emotions. This is not about whether or not parents love their kids. That's off the table. Yep. It's not about that. It's about patterns. It's about comfort zones. And it's usually about history. Mm -hmm. If my parents weren't good at that, then I'm probably not going to be great at that. Right. Cause I didn't have that model. Yeah. But the yeah. experience of the child is, okay, if my parent's not super comfortable with negative emotions, like if it's okay to be happy in my house, but when I'm sad or when I'm angry or when I'm scared, I, I go to my room or I go outside and I shoot the basketball yeah. or I go listen to music. If I do that by myself, then I learn to keep those in. Yeah. And so yeah. as an adult, if I'm talking to an adult who had that model, they keep that stuff in and guess what comes out with the positive. This is the adult who says, no, it was great. It was leave it to beaver. Everything yeah. was fine. Everything was great. Yeah. And I say, well, well, tell me about a time when you got hurt. And they'll say, well, I didn't, I didn't get hurt. And I'll say, well, was there anything you were scared of as a child? And they'll say, no. Hmm. And I'll say, well, okay. Um, what about a time you got sick? And I'll say, well, no, I didn't get sick. And I'll say, well, let's just tell me what it was like to be sick in your house as a child. And they'll tell me instrumental care. This is the parent who set you up on the couch. They set you up with movies. They got you a cold washcloth. They yeah. made you soup, which is great, right? If yeah. you don't do that, a lot of times it's called neglect. <laughs> but what I'm listening for is, did they also come rub your back? Did yeah. they sit with you and look at you in the eye and say, I'm so sorry you're feeling bad? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that balance is hard as a parent. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah. What do you find that there are usually similar stories or similar hurts in somebody's childhood that sort of lends to that? Or um, does it just normally mirror sort of a parent style? Or do there tend to be like you, you hear similar trends from those childhoods that produce a dismissing adult? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it is, it's a trend of a lot of instrumental care okay. um, and not as much nurturing care. But you know what another interesting trend is, is because the pattern is keep the negative in, push it down, everything's okay. The Because we have practiced that for so long, we learn to believe it. So this is the adult who says, no, but my childhood really was perfect. Yeah. Nothing went wrong. Everything was good. My parents were great. Um, I didn't have anything that was bad. And this is woven into our culture in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, frozen, let it go. That is avoidant dismissing, right? Conceal, don't feel, let it go. We are teaching this to our children, (laughs) which is fascinating. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole side. uh, I listened to a whole side podcast from Malcolm Gladwell about um, how The Little Mermaid was, you know, one of the most dangerous movies for a kid to watch ever. So it's an interesting thing you should go back and listen to. Um, But it's along those same lines. Like it's not teaching healthy adult behavior from kids. Like it, it, and so I think you find that a lot within, uh, within Disney. But those things are usually just mirroring culture, right? They're usually just mirroring our our personalities. And so I, I get it. Yeah. Well, and these are interesting stories. They're interesting characters, right? You don't find a lot of secure storylines in television and movies because it's not interesting. Right. Right. That's not an interesting history. Like it's kind (laughs) of vanilla. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) If her story is not let it go, it's just her like, you know, grieving quickly and then going back to to ruling the kingdom. Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's a five minute movie. Yeah. Or like, (laughs) well, my parents balanced instrumental and nurturing care really well. And now I'm a healthy adult princess who has dealt with my stuff. (laughs) It's like, all right, well. Okay, good. Um, well, we've got we got that one covered now. Um, yeah. All right. So mo- moving on outside of uh, anything else you want to say on on anxious avoidant? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think we're good. Let's move on. Um, so ang- they're anxious ambivalent also has anxious in the name. Different kind of anxious. So anxious okay. avoidant keeps it in, right? The model yeah. is push it down, build the wall, don't show it, conceal, don't feel. Yeah. Anxious ambivalent. As an adult, it's called preoccupied. And this is the most complicated one because it can look like all the other ones. And this comes from a caregiving model that's inconsistent. So sometimes the parent is really good. They are able to show up. Sometimes they're not. It's inconsistent. Yeah. Um, and, and, for the child, that's really confusing. Yeah. So, and, and you can think of examples when that might happen. So one common example that I give is like a parent who is perhaps an alcoholic or substance abuse where, you know, when they're using, they're not available emotionally. And when they're not, um, they are yeah. available emotionally. Now, it's not the case that that those two are always related, but commonly. Um, But but the experience of the child is that it's inconsistent. Sometimes my parents are available for me emotionally, and sometimes they're not. And so 
the child gets frustrated and angry. Um, one of the best ways I've ever heard attachment explained is that it's the child's best way to keep their caregiver close. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So with secure, the pattern is very consistent. Oh, I just, I just let you know I need you. Yeah. And you're available, right? Yeah. That's how I keep you close. With anxious avoidant, I handle it myself because right. you'll you'll stay close to me. If I yeah. let those negative feelings out, you will tell me to go shoot the basketball or go to my room or go write in my journal. Or I'll let you know what you time will... practice is. I don't let you know that I'm getting bullied at practice. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So so I don't let that stuff out because you will shy away from that. So yeah. I keep it in because that's how I keep you close. Yeah. With anxious ambivalent, it's inconsistent. So sometimes the parent is available. And so it's confusing for the child. And so the child is, is, it becomes almost like needy, right? I'm going to, I'm going to let it out all the time because you might be available this time. Yeah. 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 It's, and, and it feels for the parent, it feels really dreamy. Yeah. Because the fascinating part of this is as the adult, you're not aware of this pattern, right? I'm not aware of this insecure pattern. I don't realize it's me that's bringing this on. Right. And so I'm going, now, wait a second. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, And it's because I'm being inconsistent in my emotional care. But the child is frustrated. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Or you hear as a kid. I've heard it described as leaky anger. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a great description of it. Like, I'm just thinking that you hear as a kid, like, I I just did that. We just went on a bike ride. Like, we just Mm -hmm. did this. And you want to do it again? Mm -hmm. I mean, can't you ever entertain yourself like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that tends to be a common common thing there. Yeah, that is. And I think as a a parent, you know, so I'll say like having gone... Like having gone through this process, like and being a more more aware of my own um, stuff, I think this is maybe my biggest fear as a as a parent is like you know being aware of it and knowing like oh I'm passing something on like I'm passing something yeah. oh, on yeah. to my kids and so I'll think about an inconsistent moment I'll think like they're gonna be ambivalent this is all my fault yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, well and that's the pattern because I, so I come from this history and our pattern is we learn to read our parents emotional temperature but not our own gosh. because we're trying to figure out why is it that sometimes they're available and sometimes they're not? And so we're trying to read their emotional temperature all the time and we never figure out our own. Um, A lot of times people will tell me it felt like I was walking on eggshells. Yeah. And that relationship feels out of our control. And so a lot of times this happens. Okay, well, if I can't control this relationship, what can control me? I'll do everything right the first time. I'll be a high achiever. I'll be an overachiever. I'll be a perfectionist. I'll be a people pleaser. And that's what we become, right? So we're the person that goes like, did I, did I answer that question? Okay. Did I do that? Right. Did I, did I give you what you're looking for there? Right. We're that person because that's what we did with our parents. Are you available this time? Is this the time you can connect with me? Is this a good time for you? Right. That's our pattern. We've been trained in it. Yeah. That, I mean, this is the history I come from as well. And I think the, the, um, the scary thing for me is I knew my pattern was 
achieve really high, make sure everyone loves me, make sure that, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm out in public, everyone's always giving me compliments, and then just find subversive ways to hide the rest, right? So whatever mm -hmm. the ugly stuff is, just get real slippery in those areas and not, and, and not get pegged for it because you don't want to embarrass the family, but also um, you're not quite sure how to figure those things out. Like those areas that you, like for me, I mean, this is, <laughs> sounds so dumb to everybody else. Going to class when I got to college, I was like, oh, no one's over my shoulder making sure I go to class? Well, I'm not going to class. And it came back to bite me, obviously, later on. That's a different story. But, uh, you know, it was this, this unlearning of um, I've got to do the things that I'm being watched for, and I didn't know how to handle the stuff that was harder, you know? It just wasn't, there, there wasn't a consistent model for that. And so, yeah, it's, that's really, gosh, it's tough. Um, all right, so do, yeah. you find, do you find that oftentimes, again, these are just repeating patterns, or are there other trends that are interesting that stick out in these, this attachment style as well? Um, a lot of it's just repeating patterns. Um, it makes me think though, so I teach an undergrad class and last night we were talking about, are you familiar with Brene Brown? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she, she's a researcher at the university of Houston who talks about, she talks about many amazing things, but she talks about, um, shame and vulnerability. Yeah. And uh, she was talking, I, we were talking specifically about perfectionism, which is common with yeah. preoccupied attachment. And uh, we were watching a, a video clip of her and she was talking about perfectionism is just like hiding shame, right? Because if we say, oh, well, I'm just a perfectionist, it's just hiding. <laughs> it's just like a cover up for what we really are shameful oh about, right? Gosh, like if yes. I could just pretend like I'm just really good at this, then we're just yeah. hiding the yeah. shame of what we don't want somebody to see. Yeah, yeah. Which is really fascinating because well, it keeps us from being seen. Yes. Uh, I, Mo and Tana say all the time, like if, if families are describing, you know, one child who's just, the star of the family and they're always, you know, like oh, this one is never giving us any issues. They'll always say like, that's the one you got to watch out for. And, and not like they're pegging mm -hmm. the sneakiness coming, but like, that's the one you have to pay extra careful attention to nurture and to make sure that they know it's, they're mm -hmm. free to fail. Like they're free to make mistakes, make, make sure they know they're free yeah. and they're secure no matter what they do. Like they're not going to lose your um, attention or affection. And that's a tough thing to do. I mean, we've got four kids and like, it is. It is, it is tough to keep tabs on those things and to, and to be aware of that all the time. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned like coming back to repair in the car. And I think, um, you know, one thing that we've tried to make a habit is anytime that there's a, like a particularly big blow up or, uh, of some sort, before there's any kind of repair, like we usually start that process by just saying, hey, I do want you to remember, like I'm, I'm really frustrated right now, but there is nothing you could ever do to cause me to stop loving you or paying attention to you or um, watching out for you. Like you could do this kind of stuff the rest of your life and I wouldn't like it obviously, but I will never stop being there for you. And I think that, you know, and a lot of times it's met with an eye roll because we have preteens, but um, I think that does eventually, like those, those narratives do eventually kind of catch traction. Um, and it is just so important to remember those things because I think that is ultimately how we all feel, right? Like we, we do want our mm -hmm. kids to come to us. We do want them. Like you said, this is, you might have a, an insecure attachment, but, but it does not mean that there's not love for your kids there and a desire to make sure that they are getting everything they need, you know? Yeah. In our family, a mantra that we use a lot is I'm still learning. Like yeah. for 
us, my husband and I, and for our kids, right? Like I'm still learning. And I say that all the time. I am still learning how to be a parent to a seven-year-old and a one-year-old. I'm still learning. It's the first time I've been a parent to a seven-year-old. It's the second time for the one-year-old. But she's a different one-year-old than... Yeah, it's the first time I'm a parent to the second child. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and my seven-year-old's still learning how to be a seven-year-old. And my one-year-old's still learning how to be a one-year-old. That's so good. Um, But I'm still learning. And, And you're right. We say it enough that now my my child says it. Yeah. 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 That's so good. That's so good. Anything else to add on this attachment style? Um, no, but I think one thing I do want to say before we get too far in is that um, if we had an insecure attachment as a child, we're not stuck there forever. We can move to secure as an adult. It's called earned secure. We can earn our security. We can do the work. We can deal with our stuff. We can process it. We can come out the other side and be secure as an adult. Yeah. So we're not doomed forever. And we're gonna Thank put goodness. a and we're gonna put a pin in that statement and come back to that after sure. we walk through the others because I think that's yeah. it. It's a great reminder right now to not be like, well, I'm not listening to the rest of this because this is terrible. Right. <laughs> we will Absolutely. get I just want to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get to the silver lining and like the hope piece uh, after we finish talking about these styles. So we what comes next? So um this is, I'm going to explain this. There is a style as a child called disorganized. Yeah. It doesn't exist as an adult. That's not, there's no disorganized as an adult. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's commonly confused. And here's where research Jamie is going to come just swoop in and, yeah. and explain <laughs> it. So disorganized attachment as a child happens when, um, a, a child is in a situation where the parent is frightening to the child. So perhaps the parent is abusive or neglectful or both, um, or the parent themselves is frightened, right? They're parenting from a place where they are frightened. So maybe yeah. they are being abused, uh, disorganized attachment. And the reason it's called disorganized is because the child doesn't have a clear strategy for keeping their caregiver close. There's no pattern. Okay. So those patterns that I described to you, yeah. that doesn't exist in disorganized. If you showed me a hundred kids who were disorganized in their attachment, they would all look really, really different in their okay. strategies to keep their caregiver close. So that's disorganized attachment. It does not exist as an adult. There's no one-to-one equivalent. Okay. What we look at in adults is something called unresolved. And unresolved, it's called unresolved loss or trauma. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's have you experienced a loss, so like a death Uh or a trauma of any kind that you haven't fully processed, that you haven't fully integrated into how you think about relationship and who you are now as an adult. directly related to disorganized as a child. There, there are several reasons, but one of the main ones is because that loss or trauma could be something that happened when you were a child, or it could be something that happened five years ago. So it's not necessarily related to your childhood relationship with your parents, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it could have happened along the way. Um, but the, but the impact of that as an adult and specifically as a parent is if I have a loss or a trauma that I have not processed, that I have not fully integrated into how I think about things, Mm 
That's a problem. Um, trauma impacts the way I parent. It just will, even if I fully processed it. But the benefit of processing it, the benefit of knowing that it's going to impact me is that when it does come up, I can go, okay, this is, this is what's happening. This is why I'm reacting to this the way that I am. Let me take a step back. Let me take a deep breath. Let me realize what's happening here. But if I haven't done that work, man, that's going to catch me off guard. Yes. And it's going to look different when my child is a baby versus when my child is a preteen versus when my child starts driving, right? right? Versus when my child maybe moves out of the house, like that's going to look really different. And if I'm not, if that's not on my radar, Ooh, that's, that's going to be tough. Yeah. And so in those situations, I mean, generally you're, you're, I'm going to recommend that you have somebody familiar with, you know, working through that trauma, whether it be a, a counselor or therapist, any, anywhere in that world, to, to then help you to recognize those things as you're going through and recognize how to process them well, right? I think that's the goal. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think therapy, I think everybody should go to therapy. That's my yeah. own, my own sure. personal belief. Um, and I think one of the things that's really tough about loss and trauma is that the the processing and the, kind of the path is is different for everybody. I mean, yeah. don't you wish I could just say like, oh, you just do these three things and then you're done? Yeah. Um, yes. Of that'd course. be amazing. That's right. not how it works. Yeah. Um, so for some people, the first step is journaling. For some people, the first step is talking to a friend, and then it's talking to a counselor, you know, for some people, they're ready to jump right in to therapy. Right. It, it's different for everybody. So is there a point that you would say like, well, oh yeah, I guess you kind of said that. I mean, every, you recommend everyone has therapy or, or goes to therapy of some sort, right? I mean, I, and I would obviously, I would, I would co-sign that also. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have uh, any, you know, big, uh, big T traumas or, or big, big L loss as a, as a kid. And yet, like I've found counseling to be one of the most helpful, um, tools in my adult life that I could have ever asked for. And so, um, so I would, I would advise as well. I mean, cause I think a lot of times we tend to think of it in terms of like, well, you know, I didn't witness X, Y, or Z very hard thing or have this happen to me. So like, I just need to suck it up. Whereas like, I think if, it, if we think of it in medical terms, like you wouldn't deal with the nagging headache for eight years, right? Like you wouldn't deal with like an arm you think might be broken, but just sort of muscle through it for a long time. And some of us will, but like you shouldn't <laughs> medically. And so uh, it's kind of the same thing with our mental health, right? Absolutely. Well, in, in even another way to think about it is like, I go to the gym three times a week because I want to keep my body in shape. Yeah. I go to therapy every other week because I want to keep my my mind in good shape for my family and my kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. So, uh, those are those are kind of our adult attachment styles we've that we've walked through now. So, we you know, for people who are, are listening to this and thinking through those, are there some ways to kind of, you know, w- would maybe journaling and kind of thinking back through childhood begin to be kind of your best first step in this awareness process? Yeah, I think, I think thinking about childhood isn't necessarily something we all do every day. Um, right, right. That's kind of the, one of the cool things about what I get to do for a living is talk to people about their childhoods, and that's not something we do routinely as an adult. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think it's a unique thing to do and it's a unique challenge because we don't always think about that. Um, there's a really cool book called How We Love. Okay. And it's 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 by Yurkovic and Yurkovic. It's a married couple who are therapists. And they the reason I'm bringing this up is twofold. One, they talk about attachment and the different styles and how they okay. uh, operate in a marriage relationship or a romantic relationship. And two, because they talk about a, a single question that they use in their therapy practice, which is, can you remember a specific time that one of your parents comforted you? And like, what an interesting question, right? And that's, you know, challenging ourselves to remember an instance of nurturing care is really interesting, right? Can you remember a time your parent was nurturing with you? And that's it, right? Not that they, and then, and then they said, here's what you do about this or, you know, and then they did instrumental care. No, 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 just the time they were nurturing. That's it. And, and here's the challenge with that. Not this kind of example. Well, every, every night they tucked me in and gave me a hug. No, no, no. I'm talking about one time this specific thing happened and then the story of it, right? Like a very specific instance. Cause that's hard to do. Oh yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we, what, what I did when I kind of think back through that in my own head is I started to kind of qualify, like, well, maybe that counts or maybe that doesn't. Right, right. And and then you have to really think about, you know, uh, yeah, you end up thinking about a lot more than just um, just that. So we're we're trying to think, so they recommend thinking about a time that you were comforted. Are there other kind of milestones or things that you need to think about when you're working through these things? Like, should we, should we aiming to kind of write down a few different observations of different, different things? I would say think about being balanced when you think about your relationship with your parents. When I look back, do I see my parents as heroes? And if I do, what does that tell me? Am I able to think about things I would want to change about that relationship? Because attachment, healthy attachment as an adult is balanced. I can look back and I can say, I loved this about my relationship with my mom. Or or many of us can, but I can also say, you know what? I didn't love this so much yeah. and I don't have to minimize it and I don't have to qualify it. I can just let it be. Um, And then I think another important thing is if I can't think of those examples, if I can't say, wow, this was a time that my parent really nurtured me, then what is that? Can I be really honest about that and say, you know what? I think I needed that. And I didn't get it. Yeah. I didn't get that. So we write these things down, kind of think about these a little bit. And um, the advice is is not to then call your parents and reveal your findings, right? Like that's not your first step. Not not necessarily. No, I I think some people might have that relationship. That is probably not the majority of us. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think the answer of what to do with that information is again, really different for everybody. Um, but I think it can inform the way that we parent, right? If my parents did mostly instrumental care, that's probably what I do. That's probably how I show up. Yeah. And if my parents were inconsistent in their nurturing care, Oh, that's probably how I show up. And that's hard. Yeah. 
That so, is really hard. So what every achiever or, or perfectionist who's listening to this is going to ask then is, well, that, that's fine. Tell me how to get there and secure this. <laughs> how, how, how do I get there? How do I get there? And again, I will say to you, don't you wish that I had of course. <laughs> like a five-step program? Right. I do not. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that uh, it, it just it's a lot of intentionality. One of the things I often say is awareness is a tangible step. Being aware of this stuff, having it on your radar, having it in your mind is going to change the way you operate. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that wizard of Oz thing. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. I think once you know this, you can't unknow it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But you got to be honest with yourself about it. And that's one of the hardest parts. Um, that's a hard part <laughs> about it. Yeah. It's to be really honest with yourself about what you excel at and what you don't. And, you know, I would imagine that the advice would also be like within the confines of a safe relationship, bringing somebody else into that with you, right? Like bringing somebody else into this sort of awareness with you to just kind of even help you recognize some of these things. Like, is that, would you recommend that? Oh, a hundred thousand percent. So one of the things I struggle with as someone with a history of anxious ambivalent, and now I say recovering emotional temperature things. So we have a tendency as adults, uh, because, because I don't have a good grasp on my own emotional temperature. I let my emotional temperature set the emotional temperature for the whole family. So if I'm having a bad day, everybody's having a bad day. Do you know how hard that is for me to say out loud? That is really hard (laughs) to admit. And it is very true. If I'm grumpy, everybody gets to be grumpy, right? The contrast is true too. Like if I'm having a great day, everybody's having a great day. But one of the things that's been really helpful for me is for my husband to just be like, Jamie, emotional temperature. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. And it's just like a little nudge. Yeah. Just a little nudge. Yeah. And I can reset. I can take five minutes. I can take a breath and just reset. Yeah. Reset. And then he's, I think opposites attract is often true with attachment because he leans the other way. He's kind of anxious, avoidant, anxious, avoidant, dismissing. Yeah. Um, And so his is more, he's really good at the instrumental and I have to go like, okay, babe, feelings, feelings. (laughs) Uh, you know, so like yeah. our seven-year-old had a loose tooth recently and he's like, got to pull it out. We got it. Like, we got to right. get to the solution. And I was like, feelings, feelings. And he was like, and how do you feel? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling, <laughs> but That's being really that helper to each other yeah. is really important. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, does this, this is also kind of change the way that we take our own kids temperature. Like, do we, do we, pay special attention to like, I mean, obviously I would say like each of us have uh, differences within our kids that necessitate different, um, different ways of instrumental care, different ways of nurturing care. Um, and so maybe pay t- paying attention to those things as well so that you know sort of, uh, you know, what, what means the world to one might not mean the exact same to the other. And so like yes. one might appreciate the back rubbing way more than showing up at practice and the other one might need you there at practice to feel nurtured, you know, um, yes. every step of the way. So yeah, I, th- I said, it's also like one that we have found to be more important as well. Like 
knowing our kids and being students of them. Yes. Um, That's such a good point. It's the family is a system. Yeah. And that gets really complicated really fast because inevitably you will have children who are opposites from one another. And yeah, like we, we have two kids and one is a snuggler and one is not. And I mean, you got, (laughs) you got to know your kids, right? Like that's, that's really important to one and it's not to the other. Yeah. And so how do I show up in a nurturing way for the one who's not? Because that's not the way for her. Right, right, Um, right. So, yeah, you're right. Anchoring and adjusting is a big, a big part of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's it's hard. Easier said than done, right? Like this stuff is, it's hard and it's tiring. Like practicing secure attachment and being intentional about it it's exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What I think, you know, kind of as we sort of round, round back to the home, home base here, like get back to the beginning of this conversation, like all these things can give us awareness and we can be aware of our own mistakes, like, and aware of things that we're doing wrong. Um, and ultimately, like it does require help for us to be able to do these things, um, and consistently begin to improve. And so it's finding, you know, like bringing that friend or partner in, it's bringing that family member into this conversation. It's, you know, being willing to do the work of being honest about your past and then um, looking for help when you need more than just a kind of partner with you in this process. And so um, any last words of, of encouragement in this process as people, if, if this is the first time people are learning about this today, like any last uh, words of encouragement for them before we go? Um, you will mess up over and over again, and that's okay because you get to repair it. That's what our parents oftentimes didn't know to do. Our parents didn't know to come back and say, I am so sorry. That's not how I meant for that to happen. And we know to do that. That's really good. And that's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's yeah. secure attachment. Secure yeah. attachment isn't perfection. Yeah. It's it's knowing when we mess it up and going back and fixing it. That's secure attachment. And we can all do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Jamie DeLuna, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today and for all of this. Um, you can find, uh, well, you can find your work at the KPICD. And um, if people want to follow you online, is that, do you have an online presence as well to be followed on? Oh, man. Maybe in like 10 years when my <laughs> kids are older and I have time. But no, I don't right now. I did, yeah. I did a podcast. Uh, I have an episode of our TBRI podcast. That's like my big okay. online presence. Got it. There it is. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Well, as we said, great information from Dr. DeLuna and uh, just a joy to be with her. And so if you have not uh, had a chance to go back and listen to our other episodes on attachment we've done before with Dr. Casey Call from the KPIC as well, um, be a helpful time to do that as well. Uh, Coming up in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about how to build attachment, how to build stronger connections um, that lead to attachment with uh, your kids, your teens, um, other adults in relationship around you. And so we're excited to do that. And 
hope you'll join us for it. Uh, for everybody at the ETC team, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for uh, Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the ETC podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast. Thank you.